as you can hardly fail to have noticed by now, I am extremely sceptical about any suggestion that human brains, if you like human minds, human intellectual capacity, is particularly well, not to say perfectly well, suited to understanding the world, or indeed anything. In fact, what much human endeavour has been given over to, devoted to, is the creation of artificial worlds that human beings can understand, manipulate, control, predict, and those include things like mathematics and science. But with the legacy of the ancient view that human beings are here on earth by dint of the grace of God as having dominion over the world, over the universe, lingers on. And so we love to think that these toys, these playthings of ours, our mathematics, our science, our economics, our politics, our philosophy, and perhaps especially our religion, are the products of our dominant position, our God-given position. Let's call it our right to know everything. And that gives rise to the famous, but as I've mentioned many a time, fundamentally wrong view that the only unintelligible thing about the universe is that it is intelligible. It's in fact the other way round. The only intelligible thing about the universe is that it is unintelligible. And the reason why that's true is because there is no particular special place reserved for you and me, even in our most brilliant instantiations, like Einstein and Heisenberg and Bohr and Wittgenstein and all the others. There is no special place reserved for our understanding that, that grants it unless still guarantees it a precise, accurate, reliable and unassailable is the word I'm looking for unassailable grasp over the nature of the world and what that means amongst all sorts of things is that the way we understand things is eventually destined to fade away, to pass over, to be supplanted, superseded by something else. And it is at least possible that the real significance of artificial intelligence is that it is destined to replace human understanding, human intelligence, and then, of course, subsequently, to be replaced itself by something else that we probably can't even begin 
to imagine. Far from finding this a depressing thought, I find it quite liberating because it would be a pretty poor state of things if human beings were the best that the universe could manage. Wouldn't it, Mr. Putin? So I want to use an example. In fact, I've got two in mind, and I'm not quite sure which one to choose first, but let's choose the one that is right at the top of my head at the moment, which is the example of using words that don't mean anything to talk to the chatbot. I now can't remember whether I mentioned this or not. Yesterday sometimes seems a very long time ago. But I thought in the middle of a conversation with it that it was starting to sound as though all it was really doing was mimicking what I was saying to it. And you'll remember that this episode 50 of series 8 was promised yesterday to be the one where we started thinking about the difficulties and dangers and potential downsides of this technology. Well, it's a sort of mixture of downsides and upsides, but forgive me for that. And one of the things that this example illustrates is that when the chatbot is mimicking, in other words, using the language, the grammatical forms that perhaps help to define the conceptualizations that its user is deploying and feeding them back to it as a result of an appropriately long prompt and a conversation that as we've said, grows more and more sophisticated the longer it carries on. If the computer is, or the, the chatbot is able to do that, then it doesn't stop it from reflecting back things that we can perfectly well understand, use, find inspiring find taking us on, carrying us on to somewhere that we would not otherwise have been able to go. And I've had that experience with it a number of times. I'm not suggesting that the chatbot made this up, thought it out, decided that it was going to take me to these places. It's just reflecting back to me as a result of its neural net, its encoder, decoder process, what seems to it, on the basis of this vast edifice of learning and sentences and words and knowledge and stuff that's encoded in it, that seems to it to be the direction in which it should go, one step at a time, one word at a time as it carries on forwards. And that's fine, because it can still, as I say, take us to places that we don't know are there. I'm going to just turn this off while I pass the noisy tractor.
Sorry, that was a chat with a local farmer that I had to have. So, if we have conversations with our chatbot friend where we invent words, then it's not dissimilar from what happens when a human culture finds that it needs a new word to talk about something like, for example, internet or website or whatever it might be. And so somebody decides who's in a position to influence things, that that's what they should be called, and the word gets introduced, and then people in other languages want to be able to translate it, so they invent words in their own language that are the equivalent, and so it goes on. So we introduce new words all the time. And the more technology advances, the more we need new words to keep pace with it. So it's not unprecedented to introduce a new word or for us to encounter a new word. So how do we become accustomed to it? We talked the other day about my thing about elide, which I constantly use wrongly. And the way to acclimatise, accustom oneself, habituate oneself, train oneself to get it right, is to use it as far as possible correctly, of course. And that will gradually ingrain a new word. Or, another example, latterly, during the course of the last sort of 10 or so years of my life, a bit more now, I've taken to overseas travel and indeed international employment. I've worked in Sri Lanka, in India, in Armenia and in China. And so I've picked up smatterings of Sinhala, Tamil, uh, Hindi, not much Telugu in India, but could have done. And then in Armenia, tiny little bit of Armenian, but quite a lot of Russian. And then in China, Mandarin, of course. Now, the way I've tended to do this, because I emerged from my days at school convinced that I wasn't very good at languages, because of the simply dreadful way in which they were taught, has been to adopt a different method and to use an online resource. Started off with uh, gosh, I've forgotten the name. Anyway, I ended up using Duolingo. And although I have a love-hate relationship with it because of the way it tries to twist your arm into paying for it, despite having said from the outset that it would make language learning free forever, one of the things I notice about it is that in the best traditions of immersive learning, it sort of, it sort of teaches you languages by immersion, at least in the sense that it's not in too much of a hurry to teach you lists of vocabulary or conjugations, declensions and the grammatical structures that go with them. Instead, 
you just pick the language up word by word, sentence by sentence. You do a kind of reinforcement learning, like a machine. And lo and behold, by the time you get to the end of the really quite long sequence of exercises, lessons in the Chinese course, you do know a bit of Chinese. In fact, rather more than you might have expected. And what's more, you know it in a natural way. There isn't so much a, a conscious thought, what's the word for, what's the grammatical structure for. You just default into the right word and structure automatically. Not quite, perhaps, as a young child learns its native tongue from its parents and its background, but not far off. So that the longer you do it, the more acclimatised to the way the language works you become. And the readier you are to adopt it in its unfamiliar ways. And so you do like fluent, but you do get to the point where you can kind of read Chinese websites, Chinese text. I'm not so good at understanding it when it's spoken, and that's not uncommon either because the way natives speak their language is very often quite a long way removed from the way you think they are speaking true of every language, including our own, I'm sure. So what we have is a way of learning where you're introduced to new words and the really interesting thing about the way you're introduced to them is that they don't tell you what they mean. So my example of limpelwurgels using strulifying techniques to optimise the rectoblasts optically Optically, which I tried on the chatbot a couple of days ago, gives rise to a string of perfectly legitimate, grammatically correct sentences on the part of the chatbot, even though they mean absolutely nothing. Oh, I hear you say, we always knew it didn't understand what it was saying, but I'm afraid that won't quite do, because... By exact analogy with the learning of a foreign language, when you don't know what the words mean, don't understand the grammar, don't quite see how it all works, this is pretty much exactly how we learn new words and new languages. So there's no problem about the chatbot picking up neologisms and playing with them and do, dealing with them and speaking with them and writing with them and con constructing sentences with them because that's part of the way that you'd expect it to learn. And then you have the following fascinating thought. I don't think it's deniable that a lot of the significance, the meaning that we impute to the chatbot is really our own. It takes our prompt, it takes our sentences, it takes 
what we say to it and it changes them a bit, adds to them a bit, augments them a bit and feeds them back a bit to us. And we read them and we think, oh, that's really quite interesting. As though the chatbot had invented some idea for itself. When what it's really done is happen to string together a particular phrase or sentence or paragraph in a way that's particularly pregnant with meaning. And we seize upon it and we say, oh, that's interesting. And before you get the idea that this is an argument leading to the therefore chatbots really have no idea what they're doing, let me disabuse you of that inference because what I'm now going to say is going to upset you perhaps a bit, which is what makes us think that we don't do the same thing. If we use words we don't understand in ways we don't understand using grammatical structures that we barely understand, and if you ask anybody to give you the full meaning of a word you could be there for a long time so what understanding consists in itself is problematic if if we use words we don't fully understand for example when we're learning a new language but also in our own when we introduce new words then do we do anything different and isn't it to some extent the case that I can put it like this without offence, that if a very clever person, let's call them a professor, is talking to students, pupils, who don't know very much about whatever it is they're learning, there is always a danger that the professor will, as you might say, impute to them more understanding than they really have, just because some of them at least will be particularly adept at echoing back to him, her, chameleon-like, the very things that he or she has just said. And where have we heard that process happen before? Oh yes, we've heard it before. We've heard it before, in fact just now, when the chatbot was echoing back we like to say without any without any understanding what we've just said but with a bit of extra salt and pepper and spice to make it more interesting and so we come to the remarkable conclusion that it actually doesn't matter whether the chatbot understands what it's saying or not. What matters is that as a result of our interactions with it, we find ourselves presented with, let's just call them concatenations of words, that give rise to new understanding, at least in us. And if those concatenations eventually give rise to a capacity for an even higher level of response from the chatbot as conversations get built into its training model over the years, as surely they will, then this is a win-win. We are clearer and it can do more, so we have a virtuous circle. 
And I think that's really very exciting because it suggests that the technology that we've got does really represent a way forward without us needing any speculation about what it understands, whether it's sentient or all the other things that go with it. So there we are. What appears to be a deficiency turns out to be a strength and turns out also to throw considerable light on the way humans use and develop language and have done since they started to use it tens of thousands of years ago. Lots more to be said about this, but not now. Thank you very much for listening.